you're an executive leader of a specialty brand and you're obsessed with knowing everything you can about your target consumers, you've just found the perfect podcast. Welcome to Channel Mastery. On every episode, we dig deep to bring you what's working and what's not when it comes to winning attention and building loyalty with your target consumers today. We have a ton to share, so let's get right to it. And thanks so much for joining us today. And also thanks to Verde Brand Communications for being the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm absolutely honored to introduce today Dr. Len Nessifer, who is the CEO and founder of Natives Outdoors. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Yeah, me too. Well, you are a very busy guy, I know. And I would love to be able to start the show by saying, like, tell us a little bit about your career, Len. You've done a lot in a relatively short amount of time. You've just really created a ton of impact. But the road to Native Outdoors full-time, I think, was um, not exactly a direct one, which a lot of entrepreneurs can relate with. So can you walk us through the journey? Yeah. I mean, in thinking about it mentally, it's kind of felt like a ping pong ball but I, I grew up on the Navajo Nation and um, did my undergrad at uh, the University of Kansas and got a, a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. I thought I was going to end up going and work in the auto or aerospace industry and then quickly found that policy was something I was interested in. So went to uh, Carnegie Mellon's Department of Engineering and Public Policy, got a PhD there. And that work led me into uh, working with the U.S. Department of Energy, working on renewable energy and energy efficiency projects in native nations across the US so it got took me a lot to Alaska and um a lot of the west and yeah elections happen policies change and i kind of saw an opportunity to continue doing the work i was doing which was um beginning to get interested in the outdoor industry and outdoor rec and this was right around the time of the bears ears national monument designation in 2017 and I was living and working in colorado and got connected with the colorado office of outdoor rec and had a lot of really great connections from that work and um, decided an opportunity presented itself to be as a professor of American Indian studies and also in public policy at the University of Arizona. So I spent three years there, but alongside this, I was building and developing this company called Natives Outdoors. And we do uh, a lot of different things, but we (laughs) like to categorize our work into three buckets. We do media and marketing work with companies looking to work with native communities. We do design work and we also do consulting as well. So it's kind of been a, yeah, it's been a really fun and sort of bumbling road to entrepreneurship. And it's always been trying to figure out where, where's the opportunity and where can we make the most impact? And it's been, yeah, amazing to, to be on this journey for the past three years. Well, I, for one, just have to tell you, I've admired all of the parts of this career path that have brought you to this place. And I remember reading a post on LinkedIn, I think it was last year, where you were talking about the growth of natives outdoors. And it was just the coolest thing. I've I mean, you're really you're creating something that is so obviously needed and you're providing it as a solution in such an accessible way. I just want to thank you for the work you're doing. And I just feel like you the the biggest impact is right ahead here. So that's really what we're here to talk about is. We're here to talk today about a lot of things, but we're going to start, I think, by talking about a little bit with beginning with a bit of a news roundup. So as we were planning for this show and and Lynn is going to be a presenter at the 2023 Seattle Classic Executive Summit in Monterey and all of the details for that, as well as any links that you hear us talk about today will be in the show notes. 
but Len will be um, doing a great presentation there on the first day. So we're so excited to have you there. And it's really cool to see. We have a lot of headlines that are coming out in the news right now about natives, about outdoor recreation, and about a lot of changes that are on the horizon that I think are very important for leaders to know about, but they may not know, A, if they're even happening, like these headlines are there, but like a lot of people are busy, like reading about Silicon Valley Bank, et cetera. So let's elevate it for them. Let's show them why this is relevant to their um, their businesses and outdoor rec. And we'll just start, you know, with the ones that you think are the most important. Yeah. Looking at you know the federal the landscape of federal management in the United States, uh, the Biden administration in 2021 made a pretty significant policy change looking to empower tribes and native nations in a elevated role, which they're calling co-management of of federal public lands. And so this is still taking form, but historically tribes have a number of rights to federal lands, either tied up in treaties or previous uh, congressional actions, et cetera. And a lot of that has been focused on ancestral site preservation or other cultural resources located on federal lands. This particular change is going to place tribes more in the decision-maker seat about how federal lands are managed. So this can be everything from mining to, you know, in this case of interest here is outdoor rec and how outdoor rec is managed on U.S. federal lands. And so that's that's been a huge development, and it's going to be a case-by-case, region-by-region basis. But one of the things that's also been percolating up alongside this is um, an increasing interest of tribes and individual Native business owners on establishing an outdoor rec industry and community on on within Native communities. And so there's, I would say that in many ways, that particular, the sort of economic interest in outdoor rec community is fairly nascent in a lot of a lot of Native nations. And I think there's a huge opportunity in building those um, particular outlets and also ensuring that that can connect to this larger question of co-management. Because really in our work at Natives Outdoors, we're interested in ensuring that these sort of outdoor rec economies can develop seamlessly on tribal lands and federal lands. And that is a, it's an awesome vision and talk about impact, right? Like we do read a lot about everything that's changed um, with legislation from last year around these gateway communities and how they're trying to clean up oil wells. And like a lot was packaged into certain things that came out last year. And now you're really making this real. You're, you're looking at workforce. You're looking at challenges there with these gateway communities. And then mm-hmm. like the economic viability and the driver that that can be for that I think tribal leaders to see like this is truly an opportunity for us, whereas maybe in the past there might have been like an antagonistic relationship there. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about that and the opportunity that's here with what's happening with this co-management effort? Yeah, there's a number of instances of of conflict between the outdoor rec community on tribes over access to certain areas on federal lands. You know, Cave Rock near Lake Tahoe is a really prominent example. Bear Lodge, Devil's Tower in Wyoming. But there's also, of course, you know, those are some of the bigger instances of conflict, but those can also happen at a much more localized level. So places like Bears Ears, you know, visitation to ancestral sites, hiking, you know, hiking trails that are being established in some of these areas that are fairly sensitive has raised uh, a lot of concern of, of tribes of, of this management. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that's, you know, really interesting that we're seeing is that, you know, historically 
outdoor rec has been fairly inaccessible to a number of native communities due to historical underinvestment in communities, um, whether that's, you know, access to federal funds for trail building, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is that there's an opportunity, especially in some of, you know, as you mentioned, these gateway communities, you know, I'm thinking in the Southwest of like Moab or Farmington, New Mexico, you know, they're fairly proximate to tribal lands. And, you know, one of the challenges in many of these smaller communities is how do you build a sustainable workforce? How do you ensure that, you know, there's consistency in in the people that you employ, the opportunities that are there, but, you know, just, just an hour or two away from these gateway communities or even less, um, there's, you know, native communities with a number of folks that are wanting to live and work in their home community. And, you know, I'm thinking the Farmington, New Mexico is a great example, just right down the road in Shiprock, New Mexico. There's a whole workforce and, and interest of young folks that want to live and work in this region, but often have fine challenges in doing so. And we've really, you know, in, in a lot of our work, we've seen fairly big disconnects and not quite a lot of communication between these native and non-native communities, uh, these border towns, on how do you have this sort of regionalized approach to economic development. And I think really when we're looking at the opportunities, both for native communities and also these gateway communities, is how do we think about these areas as regions and how do we tap into the resources that are available, both human and natural to really help create a sustainable outdoor rec economy in some of these rural parts of the US. And with the with these like co-management regionally focused, I think investments and just, you know, the what's coming into play there. I know California is a big, we're gonna again put all the links in the show notes to the headlines here, but it feels like there's going to be a little bit of like air war and ground war, if you'll forgive the the mm-hmm. the war analogy. But it's like I think the headline and the news on the federal level should drive mm-hmm. action it within the regions, but only if there's a, a, you know, like almost a bit of a, a team mentality. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what you're saying is missing is there's just been this like disconnect for a long time. And frankly, like, that's what I think you created w- with natives outdoors so many years ago now that grew like wildfire. It's because you mm-hmm. actually created like a portal for native people to belong to the outdoor recreation industry. And it felt mm-hmm. like something that they that was theirs too. And I think that that same tenant and the same notion, somehow, if we could support that happening in key regions, and there are tons of brands listening to this, tons of retailers, like there are actual physical infrastructure points. You know, like Farmington's a great example. They're marketing the you-know-what out of outdoor recreation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, it just feels to me like all the pieces are there. We just need to like get people working in the yep. same direction. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a, uh, especially from the non-tribal outdoor industry side, there's a real important need in building these connections because for a lot of tribes and native nations, there hasn't been a whole lot of, until recently, there hasn't been a whole lot of involvement in the outdoor rec industry. And so for a lot of tribal leaders, when when I go and I've talked and to a number of them on, you know, related topics, this topic of outdoor rec is fairly foreign and not well understood. And in a lot of instances, they simply have, you know, the the feedback I've gotten has largely been about the impacts, about, you know, the trail erosion, the number of visitors, et cetera, et cetera, but not necessarily the economic side of it, the industry side and the opportunity that it presents for these tribes as well. And once we've talked about, hey, you know, here's an opportunity for 
you know, tapping into the, you know, what's happening on the federal lands right next to you, or in some instances, it's also developing that industry on tribal lands. And there's some examples of that that are really great. But I think if that connection isn't built, I think there's a real, there's a threat that this could basically lead to more conflict on land management and et cetera. And I think in this particular instance, if, you know, tribes in much more of the driver's seat of federal lands management, it could pose a serious risk. And I think uh, a serious risk to outdoor wreck. But I think there's, you know, there's been a number of really interesting um, and successful models of where this has been happening. I think about the um, Cannondale and EF Education's investment in in um, HBCUs, historically Black colleges and universities, and also two tribal colleges. And, you know, that's helping establish and build these connections and threads between these communities that have historically been fairly separated. And again, we will add that additionally headline into the show notes. There's a couple, and one of them is, um, you know, you need to have a membership to see, but we'll do everything we can to make sure it's accessible. So Lifetime Sea Otter Classic Summit 2023 is joining Faraday Brand Communications as our sponsor for this new year. The goal is to deliver the solutions and best-in-class resources presented to executives in the outdoor recreation industries at the summit to you every week on the Channel Mastery Podcast. And we couldn't be more excited to exceed your expectations on that goal every week. So at the summit earlier this year in April 2022, right before the Sea Otter Classic, we gathered over 200 executive leaders from the outdoor, bike, endurance, and vehicle-supported adventure markets for two days of business intelligence, specialty market resourcing, and peer networking It was awesome because it happened right before the Sea Otter Classic, which literally had about 80,000 consumers there. And guess how many people camped at the Sea Otter for multiple nights? Almost 7,000. Okay, this is a, a very special consumer event. And to have this right before it is huge. We're gonna share all the details on the 2023 Summit in a very uh, near-term episode here and watch, uh, we'll be announcing things from a marketing standpoint, but I just wanted to make sure and thank Lifetime and Verde Brand Communications. Thank you so much. Let's go into what we talked about before in our uh, when we were kind of playing pitch and catch, getting ready for our talk today. We were both talking about just cycling as part of the outdoor recreation world and how in terms of diversity, in your opinion, you felt like, The intention might be there, but the overall momentum has been lagging. And you Mm -hmm. and I were talking, is it a cost barrier? Is it size of companies? You know, why, why is this happening? But now you're really talking about some wins and you just mentioned one and we have more to talk about more headlines. What I think would be very beneficial for like leaders from outdoor rec businesses and cycling brands to see and athletes, et cetera, and land managers is that success looks different today, right? So the partnership with, with, um, what you just brought up with the F education in Cannondale, taking the collegiate level approach with marginalized communities, that's different than a car sponsorship with a race. And that's kind of what the, the recipe everybody's seen like in, in marketing, et cetera. Can you share a few more impactful wins that really deserve to get some spotlight right now so that people can understand that success looks different with these endeavors? Yeah, I mean, I think on... You know, I, I look at the cycling industry broadly, and there's a lot. You know, of course, there's the the racing is a huge component of what drives the industry, and, and a lot of the marketing around that. But you know, growing up on the res, we never really had roads great good enough to ride a road bike, and the cycling that happens there tend to be more of the 
what I would say kind of fell into that realm of adventure, gravel cycling, and, and, you know, sort of taking a, you know, pointing your, pointing your rig down a dirt road and seeing where it would take you. And the cycling there is definitely much less glamorous and, and as compared to the way it's, which it's depicted, you know, as compared to like, say road racing, but, you know, on, on Navo lands, there's not a lot of uh, trail infrastructure that's been developed. And a lot of instances is kind of riding down, in places that weren't necessarily designed or made for bikes, but, you know, there's, there's um, one of the folks that will be joining us in at the Sea Otter event is uh, a man named John Yazi who established a bike packing company. And he's been getting a lot of press about what he's been doing to establish his guiding company, but also using it as a way in which to empower native youth to like, look at the landscape differently, look at these dirt roads differently and take them on these adventures. And so there's been a lot of coverage of him in places like the Radivist and others about what he's been doing. And um, that's a really great example of, you know, an individual uh, of two people, Nadine as well, that are really taking this to um, a new level. Um, another place that was, you know, of interest as well was um, the Eastern Band of Cherokee. They're hosting a a bike race the same week as sea otter. So they're not going to be able to join us, but they've built some pretty amazing um, mountain bike tracks across tribal lands. And they're looking at investing one more in, you know, pine, being the test case for like, how do you develop these sorts of industry economies and industries on tribal lands and sharing that with other tribes. But they're also looking at, at it being as a conduit for developing athletic talent as well. So like having it be the, place in which, you know, native writers can cut their chops and, you know, become strong, strong writers. And so that's been, you know, an interesting approach in the way that they've been looking at it is sort of the long-term, but more importantly, um, you know, sharing these wins with other tribes in the areas as well. That's super cool. I love hearing that. And again, like these successful joint ventures or partnerships, they look different today because we're trying to create a different group of people around the table driving growth in outdoor recreation. So we really need to change what the markers of success look like. And I think that what you're bringing up about John Yazzie's business is a great way to show that. And I think that he's basically enabling like a different lens for people to look through to see the land that they love while mm -hmm. on a bike. And that makes, you know, somebody who grew up in that area feel like they belong to that that adventure seeking cycling passion. And that's like, that's there for everyone. It's everybody's health and wellness. So I just am so mm -hmm. happy to hear these stories. And I'm really excited to hear more of them unfold as we get together in Monterey. But really, as we're looking at the, the co-management piece to go back to that headline, I mean, this is something that's federally man or federally mandated, but regionally focused. And it is mm -hmm. going to, to change. Like, I think, access as well as permitting. And it's something that I think is going to potentially have like short-term and long-term implications. They're all positive. And really, if we look at the, I'd say infrastructure is a bad word, but like, if you look at regions that we're hoping to focus on to create like these bridges between outdoor rec and tribal leaders and tribal communities with these gateway communities, it really seems like there's probably pr some pretty great infrastructure in place in terms of brands, in terms of uh, ambassadors who live there and retailers mm -hmm. and existing guiding companies. So I, I'm really hoping that we can spread your message far and wide in terms of like what this means to the future of outdoor recreation, and opening the portal for everybody to come in and enjoy it. One thing I do want to ask, and I know it's probably top of mind with our um, audience listening today, is I think that there's an interesting approach and direction that this co-management can bring in terms of 
just stewarding the land and having it not be about like numbers, but maybe quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything emerge on the horizon in that way? Yeah. I mean, I just was dealing with that this morning on some film <laughs> permitting. Um, the Bears Ears National Monument is 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 one of, it's the largest monument right now that's really has, I would say, a more active co-management regime that's happening on federal lands. And so in applying for a commercial firm, film permit in that region, you know, we had to be very judicious about the places that we were selecting because of, you know, their proximity to ancestral sites, or as some people call them ruins, you know, and, and the various cultural resources that were in there. And in talking to the BLM, you know, they were, they, it potentially adds a layer of complexity to how commercial filming happens on federal lands, for example. And, you know, for a lot of brands, that's, that's a real, that's a real thing. And thinking about how do you do your marketing, where do you make your brand films, et cetera, you know, are they going to be happening on or near places that have um, interests of the tribes? And for a lot of, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, the reasons aren't going to be disclosed, which <laughs> is probably going to get a no. But, you know, I think, you know, in looking at that, how the management's going to happen for, for, you know, looking at, say, Bureau land management land, forest service land, they have a, those, those federal agencies have mandates that look at the land as sort of a natural resource to be extracted. That's just sort of embedded and baked into their, their management models, which is not to say that that isn't a, an important thing that comes out of it. But for tribes, that's not necessarily the way in which they look at these landscapes. And so there's there can be a lot of internal friction around that. But I think, you know, what we're really looking at is that there's going to be a much more conservative approach in, into how, say, recreation gets developed on, on, on federal lands. And like, you know, are, you know, and thinking about, you know, I always think about does a tribe have an investment in, in that happening? So in the case of outdoor rec, you know, I could see there being opportunities built, say, if there's an increased support and development of outdoor rec economies on tribal lands, I think there's going to be a lot, uh, I would say, easier path to ensuring that that management happens much more seamlessly. But, you know, I think that's it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis, region-by-region -region basis. And, you know, not every tribe is in the position to do co-management and some are better equipped than others, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of unknowns around how it's going to happen at the granular, granular level right now. Well, I think that there will be certain communities that we can hold up as an example, which you've done today. Mm -hmm. And also um, just looking at, you know, the offices of outdoor recreation as they continue to strengthen, those are also like very state by state and mm -hmm. very regionally driven within those states. So I think like the model has almost taken shape. I wouldn't say accidentally, but like it's all been very new, right? Mm -hmm. And we've stood these offices up. You've watched it. Like I, I came into that whole fray with Luis Benitez. And I think you may have before that, but that was my entry. And mm -hmm. I learned a ton watching him set up Colorado. And mm -hmm. I, I just feel like, you know, the whole approach has been state by state. And then as, again, it kind of goes into like the most important places within that state. But as we're watching the evolution of land management with co-management, I think that there will be, you know, if we look at it as, oh, change, more change, it may be difficult. If we look at it instead around learning from this new mm -hmm. approach and everybody has a seat at the table, I think that we could do far more to be stewards to the land from an outdoor recreation standpoint to mm -hmm. grow it for everybody, to make sure it's maintained and kept for future generations, which is mm -hmm. the genesis of like these offices in the first place, 
we have nothing but blue sky ahead there, but it really depends Mm -hmm. on like how we show up to that conversation. And I feel like that's where we look to you as like one of our leaders in terms of like changes all around us. We should have a PhD in change by now going through COVID. Yeah. And like, this is just like one more important direction that we need to be, I think, very committed to, to make sure we have a future that works in a, you know, inclusive way for everybody. And I just feel like this, this conversation is only the beginning of it. We're definitely going to get more into it at the summit. You're going to bring more examples in terms of peers in your community across the country. And I just really want to encourage our listeners today to like continue to get involved And how can they do that by supporting natives outdoors and native American entrepreneurs in the outdoor recreation industry? Like what's your advice for people who really have a strong intention? They're curious, but they really don't know where to go. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we can definitely consult with you on that if that's something of interest. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that we've been really keen on doing with natives outdoors is building the, the pipeline of talent for native communities into industry. And we've done that through the athletic lens of like supporting athletes and getting them into like sort of a sponsored athlete role into filmmakers and to other folks working in that realm. And I think more opportunities and more conduits that help build those capacity and talent pipelines are really needed. There's a, there's not quite enough investment that's happening, but from our work, we've seen a lot of amazing returns just, you know, in impacts and people's, in, in people's own lives and what, um, them having a, a job in the outdoor industry is done for them and allowing them to live and work in their home community. And, you know, I think for the native communities as well, it also provides this opportunity to build and support capacity within their own communities. So I, and so that's the native side, but on the industry side, you know, one of the things that we've been really, uh, we've seen a lot of success in is just building, you know, authentic stories and also opportunities of working with native artists, say, for example, in, in avoiding the issues of cultural appropriation, but basically ensuring that, you know, a product in some instances, you know, supports what the customers are wanting, you know, mm-hmm. on, on native designs and having a story embedded in it and feeling like they're purchasing a product that, you know, is doing something good for the world. And so we've been able to touch on these from different angles, but really what we're seeing is that, you know, there's not quite enough investment into the capacity pipeline to ensure looking out into the future that the outdoor rec economy and the cycling industry have a footprint and have a foothold within our community specifically. Okay. And that's, there's so much opportunity there. And I think it's really up to us to like highlight that and show, you know, here's where you can get involved. So like you can count on that, you know, coming out of the summit, we're going to do more content to kind of make it actionable so that people don't just go to an event and come home with a bunch of notes that they don't have time to do anything with. I mean, that's really what I think we did a great job with last year is we really tried to make, you know, this networking event and the programming that we're bringing in actionable. So I'm counting on, um, you know, I think the most important parts of what you're going to present into an actionable format through more content mm-hmm. after we get out. And then please tell us where we can learn more about Natives Outdoors, about your consulting. And I also just, before we um, you know round up today, I really want to make sure that I get you to talk a little bit about all the exciting things that you have going on with your content creation. You're just doing absolutely killer work. And I want to be able to get that out there too. So people know where they could find some of the the films that you've been involved with. We're active on LinkedIn, of course, and share a lot of our work there, Natives Outdoors, and of course, my own personal LinkedIn, but natives-outdoors.com is our website. And there's uh, a curation of the number of 
projects that we've worked on in recent years. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're taking on a lot of different, different little projects right now, but we've been working a lot on um, talking about the drought in the West and, and we're doing a wildlife film with a man named Bill, Ben Masters, who did an amazing film called Unbranded um, a few years back, telling the story about the connection of water and, and the impacts of, you know, drought on wildlife and in, in the greater Southwest. And we're doing a lot of work there. And then um, of course, a lot of branding content working with uh state tourism bureaus and also companies and doing some product development as well. And we'll be launching and releasing a product with Boggs, uh, who's a footwear company based out of Portland in the years to come or next year. And um, but this year you can see some of that product and collaborations that we've done with uh, Smartwool and also Weston Skis. So we kind of have our fingers in a lot of parts of the outdoor industry. So oh, it's been that's fun. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love, I love watching like everything every in every way you're growing it makes sense so just i i hate to say like do more because you're already so busy but like <laughs> we just need more it's like we need more um, yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for all that you do and know that we'll be bringing a recap after the summit as well for um those of you in our awesome audience who won't be able to make the trip to monterey which by the way you should it's going to be an incredible event. You can find out everything you need to know by looking up um, Sea Otter Summit, SeaOtterClassicSummit.com. Everything you need to know is there. Len's going to be one of our presenters, and you're also bringing several awesome colleagues with you. And we're just so excited to meet all of you and host you there. And thanks so much for your time. This has been awesome. Yeah, excited for uh, Monterey. Thanks. All right. We will catch you next time. If you liked this episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast, please help more business leaders find this resource by going to iTunes and leaving us a positive review and also sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Verde Brand Communications for being our presenting sponsor. Check us out at verdepr.com.